Let's turn together to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 3 in just a moment. As you're finding that, let me remind you that tonight is our stewardship banquet. Uh, Somebody said, well, what's the stewardship banquet? Well, it's a banquet for stewardship. So be here tonight. Now, actually what it is, is every year uh, at this time we get together to celebrate God's provision for us and our need to be good stewards of what he has entrusted into our care. Uh, Tonight we're going to be emphasizing all the different ministries and the people whom God leads to be a part of those ministries. It's going to be a really good time of celebration, short program, a lot of food. You want to be here, so be here tonight at 6 (laughs) o'clock and uh, be here at 6 for the Stewardship Banquet. By the way, if you possess and or own a uh, Romans 12 t-shirt, bring that, wear that. Uh, It'll be a way to help people get a visual clue on on uh, how many people are at work in our church, okay? Okay? I know you're out there. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's turn to uh, Ephesians 2, the first three verses of of the uh, second chapter here. Again, um, our aiming point is verse 4, which I guess we'll get to next week. God, being rich in mercy, raised us up with Christ. That's our aiming point. But before we get there, we're going to be looking at what he raised us up from. And that's sort of what we looked at last week. We're going to complete looking at this week. So uh, Ephesians 2.1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, Jesus taught us that there's a special blessing for those who are meek and humble, for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for those who are willing to undergo persecution because of uh, their trust and faith in you. Father, Jesus taught us that you have a special blessing for all the people who live in a way that we don't want to live, who want to be what we don't want to be. And so, Father, I'm praying this morning for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that you would make us humble before you, that you would make us meek and teachable before you. Father, that you would give us a hungering and a thirsting for your righteousness in the world today. Father, that you would teach us the strength to endure patiently the persecution that comes our way. Father, that your Holy Spirit would transform us and to make us the kind of person that would reflect your glory in our day-to-day living, the kind of people who would have a focus upon you and upon you alone, the kind of people, Father, that would draw a lost world to see you in all your glory and to be drawn to you. Father, I ask that you'd simply use us for your purposes, use us for your glory. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever wonder why some people say the things they do? I mean, like preschoolers and children, and there's just something comes out and you didn't know that? Evidently, whatever is poured into your brain eventually is going to come out of your brain. There is um, uh, one view of the mind that says you actually remember everything ever said to you, and you remember everything that ever happens around you. It's all stored in your brain in some recess that you're not using. Some of us have a lot of capacity for that. But, uh, uh, but it's, it's in there somewhere, 
and that's the whole theory of psychoanalysis is that you can dive down into the subconscious and pull it out and do therapy and all those other kinds of things. But I kind of suspect it may be true because there are certain circumstances in which people will say things that they don't normally say. And how did they get that in their head? You ever hear about people under anesthesia? You know, you're, you're put under anesthesia, which is kind of a controlled poisoning of the body. But other than that, it's okay. But you, you, you go into that twilight of anesthesia, and then as you're coming out, you do know that operating room and recovering room nurses are sworn to secrecy. They are not allowed by their, by their professional ethics to say anything or to repeat anything that anybody says while they're under anesthesia which makes me wonder why I found article after article about what people say after they come out of anesthesia. <laughs> Evidently, you're allowed to tell people, you just have to change the names. But, uh, you know, it, but people will say all kinds of things. You know, the, the very quiet, genteel Sunday school lady will come out of anesthesia swearing like a sailor. Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> you know, I'm kind of afraid of anesthesia then because, I mean, it's not just that I'm, I might be embarrassed. I could lose my job. You know, if, if things like that, you know, how did that get in his head? And so, so a few years back, I, um, I was having some very, very minor surgery. It was in and out surgery. And so I went to the surgical center and all that. And uh, uh, it, they were giving me general anesthesia for this very, very small surgery. And uh, um, uh, as, as I'm preparing for that and getting ready for that, I'm, I'm just aware of the fact that a lot of people blurt out things when they're in the recovery room that they wish they hadn't. Uh, but uh, that's okay because the nurses aren't allowed to tell anybody. So I uh, went through the surgery, came out of it, and that's okay. And afterwards, Debbie says, you know, the nurse came up to me and told me what you said. <laughs> she told you what I said? What was it? She said, well, evidently while you were recovering and coming out of the anesthesia, they asked you, where are you? So what did I say? The nurse said, you said, I'm in the bat cave. <laughs> now, I think I scored points with my boys. You know, that, that was it. You know, it was like, hey, our, our old man, he thinks he's in the bat cave and all that. But, uh, you know, you never know quite what because a lot of things are being poured into our minds all the time. And a lot of it we're not even aware of. You know, our world is, is just sending us and bombarding us with language and with messages and with images, and some of them we can filter out. Some of them we can just decide not even to experience, you know, just don't go there. But a lot of them are just inhabiting the world around us no matter what. You get on the subway and you're going to hear language. You're going to see images, and you're going to have thoughts floating through your environment, and they're, you're hoping they're just passing through your head, but sometimes they're, they're finding a home. It's in, they're buried there in the subconscious somewhere. And so as, as we're living in a world that just has this, this really polluted kind of environment around us, we get polluted ourselves, and we can't escape it. Now imagine for a moment how much worse it is when you don't have Jesus. Because that's where we were. Last week we looked at that and said we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. We were dead. It's not like God saved a few people who were nice and good and, and who had a little spark of life in them. He saved dead people. And that's who we were apart from Jesus Christ. I want for us to pick that up 
in verse 2 then. He says, we were dead on our trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And then he says, following the course of this world. Literally following the age of this world, following this world age. Sometimes historians talk about the age of reason and the age of faith and and, and so forth. But uh, there is a world age in the sense the world is trying to impress itself upon us and make us like itself. And formerly we went along with that. We walked along with the world. As the world changed its language and decided that invective expletives and vulgarities and profanities were acceptable speech, have you seen it and witnessed it? It's even filtering into to the body of Christ and you hear some believers who are using language that is not God-honoring. But our world adopts that almost instantaneously. You know, some of the most egregious faults in the English language today, I attribute to Tony Kubek. Great, you don't know who Tony Kubek is. He played shortstop for the Yankees in the 60s. But he was a brilliant sportscaster. When he got out of baseball, he got into the, into the, into the um, broadcasting booth and he called Yankees games, he called the game of the week. Um, he, you know, he called all, very famous in the, in the Broadcaster Hall of Fame, Tony Kubek, very eloquent, very educated. His English was great except for one thing. He kept saying, give it to he and I. How many people know that's wrong? One. Okay. (laughs) That's wrong! But Tony Kubek started to do it. And then everybody started to do it. And now you don't even know it's wrong, do you? You are living in the spirit of Tony Kubek. Shame on you. But that's what happens. It it gets in our environment. A couple celebrities decide that, that an action is okay, that a thought is okay, language is okay, and we go along with it. Why? Because it's in the world, and we're following the course of this world. The world is trying its very best to make us conform unto itself. Oh, the world will tell you that you've got to have wealth, got to have money, got to have resources. That'll make you happy. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ never had a penny to his name, and yet he lives in the glory of heaven today. Never was there a man more content, more happy with his life, more satisfied with his relationship with the Father, more able to live his life. Never was there a man such as Jesus who had not a penny. Oh, the world will tell you you've got to have power. You've got to have influence. You've got to be able to manipulate others. You've got to be able to get your way. Jesus Christ became weak for us. He died on the cross. They stripped him of his clothing. They took his life from him. They, they dragged him through the streets like a criminal. Jesus did not have power in the world since. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ defeated the power of hell. He broke down the gates of hell. He defeated the the. the, the dragon. He defeated Satan. Satan has been cast out of heaven like a tin-horned lizard. He's thrashing around the world today. That's the only power he has. Jesus has all power and authority. The world didn't give it to him. His Father in heaven gave it to him. Our Jesus did not have the, uh, the influence that the world said you should have. Because when he died, he died alone. If if you took a popularity poll for Jesus on the day he was crucified, there might have been three, four, maybe five people who would have said, "Uh, yeah, I I knew him. Most would either decline to take the poll or say, well, he deserved what he got. Yet Jesus today is worshipped by the thousands, the myriads of thousands of angels in heaven. 
and all the glory that we get to populate a heaven that will worship him. And with all the redeemed of heaven, we will sing his praises for all eternity. The world says you have to be, be popular. You have to have popularity where there's only one popularity I want, and that is to be popular with Jesus. See, the world will tell you all kinds of things, and we go along with the world. We think the world knows what they're talking about because, after all, those are, those are, 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 are good-looking people and influential people, and they're all on television, and, you know, go on with it. The only person I want is Jesus. But before Jesus, we were conformed to the image of the world. We were conformed to the age of this world. And that's who we were, and that's what we wanted, and that's what we went along with. Paul says you are following the course of this world, the age of this world, but not only that, you were following, how does he put it? You were following the prince of the power of the air. I don't really much care what your actual image of the adversary is, Satan, the devil, the adversary, the liar here, the prince of the air. Use whatever title you want. What we know is that there is a real presence in the world today that is opposed to the will of God and is opposed to the glory of God and is seeking its dead level best to seek out those who love Jesus and persecute them so that the adversary can hurt and harm the heart of God if at all possible. There is a spirit in the air today. And we follow along with the spirit of that air. You know, the one thing about breathing is, first, you've got to do it. Secondly, if you breathe polluted air, you're going to get polluted lungs. It's just a fact. I spent a couple of weeks in New York City back in the early 70s. By the way, that is enough time for anybody to spend in New York City back in the 70s. Anyway, it's a lovely town. But at that time, the air, it was visible. I mean, you, you just saw it, and you were breathing it in all the time. And the problem wasn't the big particles in the air of soot. Who says soot? I say soot. Okay. We'll get to the root of the problem, too. <laughs> but the problem isn't the big particles, because they'll sort of stick to your throat. They'll stick to your trachea, and you'll cough those up. The problem is the little particles, because they get down deep into the lungs, and they find a a home down in the lungs and they begin to irritate and cause disease and make it hard to breathe. It's the little things that get you in air pollution. And it's the little things that the prince of the air gets us in the temptation to sin. When we breathe in the air of, of the prince of the air, when we breathe in that atmosphere and our lives are polluted with the filth of sin and the filth of, of lust and the filth of desire, the filth of all those lies that Satan tells again and again, we breathe that in and it pollutes our lungs. And after a while, we don't even notice it. We think it's normal to not be able to breathe right. But folks, when you come to Jesus Christ, you stop breathing the air of the prince. You stop breathing the air of this world. We breathe a celestial air. We inhale the good air, and we just hang on to it because it's from Jesus. We breathe an air that is crystal pure because it comes from Jesus. We breathe an air that does not pollute the lungs but cleanses and purifies the lungs because it comes from Jesus. But before we came to Jesus, we were breathing in and sucking in that polluted air. And nothing we could do could stop us. I have a brother who's a year older than I am and about five times as smart, 
but uh, so that's why I love to tell the following story. When we, were, <laughs> when we were kids in grade school, they used to bring us into the auditorium to show us films. They didn't show us movies because that would be entertainment, but they showed us films, okay? And uh, they were always of an educational nature. But there was one film, and it was made, I think it was made by Disney or something, but it was about germs and how germs are in the air. And it had these wonderful, cute little black germs that were floating through the air, and they come in and they do a, do a carrier landing on your nose, and they would get inside of you, and they run down into your, into your lungs, and they'd make you sick and all that. It was, it was a brilliant thing. Obviously, I remember it. But the greatest part about this story is that my brother, when he saw the movie and he saw that these germs were in the air, he decided to do the only thing a reasonable person could do. He stopped breathing. (laughs) Literally, he tried not to breathe for a day. He was smarter than I was. Well, I tried it for two days. (laughs) But but you can't stop breathing. You're going to breathe something. And you can breathe the air that is polluted by the prince of the power of the air, or you can breathe the air of heaven that is ours in Jesus Christ. Paul says that's the way we were. We were breathing that polluted air, and it was destroying us. It was killing us. And then Paul says this, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience and those who belong to disobedience. You see, it's in our DNA to rebel against God. That's, That's the default setting for human beings as we come into the world. We're self-focused, we're self-aggrandizing, um, we're self-interested. We come into this world and then we pass it on to others and we pass it on to their, their children and to our children. It just keeps going on and on. You can just see this in the way the cultures work, that there's a DNA of rebellion against God. You know, what, what one generation says, well, it, it might not be perfect, but we can live with this. I'll just choose an example. We can live with alcohol. You know, it's okay to drink. We can live with the alcohol. By the way, I'm the only person you know who's still in favor of the 19th Amendment, but that's another sermon. But, uh, you know, we can, we can live with that. You know, it's, it's okay. It's okay. And then next generation comes along, and they've learned the lesson, and they say, well, why not marijuana? Marijuana is not as bad as alcohol. I've heard these lies. I went to college. It's not as bad. Why don't we accept that? First, we'll do it for medicinal use. And once we swallow that lie, the next generation comes on and says, well, now, but how about recreational use? And I'm telling you, it's not over yet. Pretty soon it's going to be, well, all recreational so-called drugs. Why not? Because what one generation does in moderation, the next generation does to excess. It's in our DNA. We are children of disobedience. And we keep ratcheting up and ratcheting up the disobedience. This is the way we are, but aren't you thankful that when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he was obedient to the word of God? Aren't you glad that when the crowns came to make him king and offered him an easy way to be Messiah, he was obedient to the Father in heaven? 
Aren't you glad when the cross stood before him and the agony was so real to him, he looked past the pain and he was obedient because of the joy that was set before him. And he was obedient as a servant to the Father. He was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. That's why, by the way, God has exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, whether in things in heaven or on earth or underneath the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are children of disobedience, and our Lord and Savior is perfectly obedient. Folks, that's why I want to be in Jesus. I want to be in Jesus, because you don't, you, you don't get the world. You don't get the, the prince of the power of the air. You don't get the, the DNA of disobedience rolling through you when you have Jesus. So uh, Paul says, that's who we were. And then verse 3, he says, among whom? Among, among all these things, among the sons of disobedience. He says, among whom? We all once, notice he said, we all once lived. Look, Paul's my guy. Paul is my guy. Paul is a professional religious person. Paul is a professional leader of religious people. Paul's a lot like me. You know, that's what he does for a living. But Paul says, this is who I was. I was, I was walking in the world and I was breathing the air of the, of the adversary and I was a child of disobedience. He says, that's who we were. He says, that's who we all were, living in the passions of our flesh living in the desires of the body and the mind. What, what does he mean by that? He means that, that apart from God, we're living just with this thing that we are, a body and a mind, narrow, limited, ignorant, unable, incapable. And living according to this flesh and this mind, we wandered off from God and we gave him the back of our hand and we ignored him. That's who we are without Jesus. And so Paul says, that's, that's how we were. We were walking, carrying out the desires of the mind and the body, and we were by nature children of wrath. He didn't say, and we stumbled into being children of wrath. He didn't say, a few of us were accidentally children of wrath. He said, we all were by nature children of wrath. I don't know anybody for whom this is their favorite verse. You ever ask people, what's the theme verse of your life? And they'll say, oh, John 3.16 is my favorite verse, or Psalm 23 or something like that. Debbie has a favorite verse. She just found it in the Bible. It goes like this. You must be out of your mind. <laughs> That's a verse that will carry you through life. <laughs> but nobody says, I was a child by nature of wrath. We don't care for that much, but let me tell you something. God's wrath is a sign of his grace. Let me tell you something. If God didn't love us and care about us, he wouldn't have wrath for us in our sin. If he, if he didn't care about us, he'd just put, it, put us in the same category with your pets, your cats, your dog. He'd put us in the same category with trees and mountains. You know, isn't that interesting? It'll all go away someday. But because of God's wrath, he is jealous for what he has created. He is jealous for what belongs to him. He is jealous for that which ought to be glorifying him. And when we do not, we are children of wrath. But the grace of God is that he tells us so. He tells us so that we are children of wrath. Folks, without, without understanding this, without understanding how desperate our condition is without Christ, without understanding that we are by nature children of wrath apart from Jesus Christ, you don't have the gospel anymore. 
If all you ever want to talk about is a Jesus who pats children on the head, tells nice stories, and sort of tweaks the noses of, of rich people, if that's all you've got, you're just preaching happy talk. You have to preach the whole gospel. And the gospel begins with this. We are sinners condemned unclean. And Jesus died for us on the cross in our place. God raised him up and seated him at the right hand of the Father. And now God, by his grace, we're going to find out, by grace we are saved. By his grace, we are raised up with Christ and seated with the Father in heaven for all eternity. That's the gospel. But you've got to know this wrath part first. Folks, what I, what I want to ask and beg of you is that if you don't know Jesus this morning, as, as we were talking about the, the, the course of the world and we were talking about the prince of the air, we were talking about being a child of disobedience, the Holy Spirit moved your heart and you realized that's who I am now. I plead with you, would you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior? Just pause this moment and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I claim Jesus as Lord. Come into my heart. Be Lord of my life. As the Holy Spirit moves you to pray that prayer, you enter into the kingdom of heaven. But for those of you who know Jesus, I'm just praying that at this moment you love him a little bit more than you did when you came in the door. That you love him a little bit more, you want him a little bit more, you want to follow him a little bit more. My prayer is that you realize how great and wonderful this Jesus is, who it was every, and is everything that we were not, but because of him, we are being conformed to the image of God's dear son. My, my, my request, my challenge for you if this, is, this week is just be sensitive to how the world is polluting your mind, your body, and your life. And when you realize that, just turn to Jesus again and again and again. And just let him be Lord and Master. Let him be the one who guides you. Let him be your Savior. Because that's the way you, you make sure the stuff going in is worth coming out later on. Let's bow for prayer again. Father heaven, how thankful we are. How thankful we are for the gift of Jesus. How thankful we are that you came to us even when we were sinners. Father, that you changed us and you, you moved us to embrace you. We, we give you all the praise and the glory for it. But I just ask that you, we would be found obedience constantly every day, that your Holy Spirit would awaken in our hearts a keen desire to just breathe in the air of heaven. Father, to breathe in Jesus every day so that you would be glorified, he would be magnified. And I ask and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.